0: Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, We are now in the month of December, and I'm guessing a lot of you have Christmas on the mind. Christmas music. Christmas shopping, Christmas parties, Christmas cookies. Some of you are Christmas decorating. And I know there's also quite a few of you that this is a really difficult time of the year, and you're just in survival mode to just make it through December and get to the new year. Uh, So whatever emotion is stirred in you this time of the year, I want to make sure that we don't lose focus on the reason for the season, which is Jesus Christ. And in the outset of the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 1, we see some beautiful words written about Jesus. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to park right in the first part of John, chapter 1. And so for today's emphasis, we're going to look at the first five verses. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, John 1, 1 is where we are going to begin. We'll also have the verses up on the screen if you want to follow along with us. Let's begin. It says, In the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, as you read through these verses, one of the themes that you'll see and continues on throughout John 1 is this motif of light and darkness. You know, darkness typically is associated with things that are negative. For example, if you see somebody who is behaving in a way that is evil or sinister, we would describe that person as someone who is dark. When you lose communication with someone, you say that person has gone dark. When a person is purposely withholding information from you, you might accuse that person of keeping you in the dark. When you're a little kid, what's the number one thing you're, you're scared of? We're afraid of the dark. Now, of course, there's exceptions to the rule. For example, we should all know that dark chocolate is vastly superior to milk chocolate. But aside from that, darkness typically is associated with things that are negative. In the Bible, Jesus is described as the light of the world. So biblically speaking, darkness can be described as anything that tries to obscure our view from Jesus. And I don't need to remind you how dark this world can be. And some of you are in the darkness now. And so today we want to spend some time reminding ourselves of what the solution is. So let's break down John chapter 1 by reading through it slowly, and let's be encouraged as we remember just who it is that we're worshiping this season. John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Notice that Word is capitalized. If it was a lowercase w, Word would mean something. But it's an uppercase w, which means Word refers to someone, as in a name or title. And John doesn't just say, In the beginning was a Word. He says, In the beginning was the Word. Those of you who watch college football are probably familiar with the school, Ohio State University. They're one of those colleges that is always in the conversation every year for the national championship. And when players who go there introduce themselves, they always say, I'm from the Ohio State University. They got a little swagger as if to say that their school is unlike any other. Well, John here, the disciple of Jesus, he's got a little swagger too. And he's saying the word, this being that I'm talking about is unlike anyone you've ever known. So when you read this, don't read it in the beginning was the word. Read it in the beginning was the word. And so who is this word that that, that he's talking about? Well, you know, that word translates in Greek, in the original language this was written in, as logos. Now, the concept of logos had deep and rich significance to both ancient Jews and ancient Greeks alike. To the Jews, they often thought of logos as a physical manifestation of God. An example of this is in the Old Testament with Moses. This is Exodus 3, 2, and it says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So even people who don't have a great understanding of the Bible are likely familiar with this story of God speaking to Moses in a burning bush. It was a physical manifestation of God, a logos, the word, The Greek understanding of logos was a little bit different. They believed the word logos was the power that brought order and meaning to the world. Without logos, the world would be random and chaotic. And so they would look around and say, that's not how the world is, it is very orderly, it has reason and meaning, and therefore there must be something out there that's causing this. Probably the most uh, modern equivalent we can have of this is the term universe. There's a lot of talk in our our culture today about universe. You hear from celebrities. I've overheard people in coffee shops talking about this. I've even heard it talked about in the cartoons that my kids watch, that there's this, this belief that the universe holds some sort of mysterious and personal power in my life. So for example, if I want something good, I say, I'm gonna put it out there into the universe. And when something bad happens, we say, oh, the universe hates me. And so we even have a modern understanding that that there is some kind of power that exists beyond myself. It's what we believe today. It's what the ancients believed. And so John, our author, leans right into this to his Greek and Jewish audiences and says, okay, you've been talking about logos for centuries. You've been talking about the word, thinking about the word, wondering about the word. Well, now I'm gonna tell you who the word is. The word is Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. And so to the the Greek audience, he describes Jesus this way, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. They believed Lagos was what brought uh, meaning and order, life and light. Without Jesus, there's death and darkness. The Jews believed in Lagos as a physical manifestation of God. And to that, John describes the word as verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Talk about a physical manifestation. God became like one of us. And then he doubled down on that in verse 18 when he said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So here we, we have the link between the Word and the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity has made God known. No one's ever seen God until we saw Jesus. Jesus. And the Jewish audiences would have perked up at this point because they're quite familiar with the story back in the life of Moses where Moses once said to God, hey, I want to see your face. Show me your glory. Here's how God responded. Exodus 33:20. God said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. The glory and the sinlessness, the purity of God is so overwhelming. It would literally put us to death. And so God had a compromise with Moses. He took his face and stuck it in a little divot of a rock and passed behind him. And you know, Moses was able to sneak a little peek of, of the back of God's robe. That's the closest anybody ever came to seeing God until the word became flesh. And now we could see God. We could talk with God. We could touch God. We could share a meal with God. This was made possible through Jesus. And then John went on to make three powerful statements about Jesus, about the Word. And here's the first one he made. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, it's important for us to understand that in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But know this, Jesus' story did not begin as a baby in Bethlehem. Jesus' story did not begin in a manger with Mary and Joseph when did Jesus' story begin it didn't it has no beginning he was there at the beginning jesus is uncreated if he had a beginning guess what he's not god whoever made him that's the one we ought to be worshiping it's amazing how much the world is deceived by this you know the most populous nation on the planet is india just recently surpassed China. 1.4 billion people. 80% of those living in India practice Hinduism, the worship of of many gods. 80%, you know what 80% of 1.4 billion is? It's three times the population of the United States. And I've been to India many times, and I've seen it for myself. I've watched people worship these gods, literally idols that they bow down before. Here's an example of one right up here on the screens. What people do is they they bring out these gods, and many of them will put food in front of the god as an offering and uh, hope for some kind of blessing in return. This practice of worshiping these hundreds of thousands of different deities and bowing down to idols in India has been going on for over 5,000 years. And you know what, what else has occurred in 5,000 years? Never once did any of those idols or statues ever reach out and eat the food that food would end up rotting or would get eaten by cows or stray animals as the people on the streets starve and go hungry. People worship idols. But let me tell you something. I know this for sure. That Hindu God, that's not God. You know why? Because it has a creator. Someone crafted it. Someone painted it. Someone decorated it, and billions worshipped it. And yet we ignorantly say, oh, all religions are the same. They all worship the same God. They just go by a different name. You mean to tell me that's the same as the Jesus described in the Bible who was there at the beginning? Jesus is uncreated. And not only that, but he's also the creator. This is an aspect of Jesus we often overlook Look at the second verse of John 1. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. When you see that phrase, in the beginning, it ought to make you think of another book in the Bible that uses those same words. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis. John 1, in many ways, is the New Testament version of Genesis 1. Here's how Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth we now know God is referring to Jesus himself, the creator. And even in that creation, there was light and dark. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. The earth was formless. That word literally means chaotic until Jesus spoke light into the situation. And in the book of John, we have a dark world, and Jesus, the light of the world, steps into the situation. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the uncreated creator. That was the first statement John made. Here's the second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So now we have a little bit of distinction between the Word and God. It's saying that Jesus was with God, meaning on equal footing. Now, the God of the Bible is a triune God, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, not three different gods, one God with three distinct persons. And this is often a difficult concept to grasp, and I think how many of us try to understand it is probably a little bit like this picture right here, like an award podium, Okay, so standing in the middle is God the Father. He's the most important, right? He's he's the start. And then coming in second place, that's God the Son. That's Jesus. Yeah, he's important too, but he's not God the Father. And then coming in a distant third, getting the bronze medal is the Holy Spirit. He's he's just kind of a throw in. Uh, And so that's a lot of times how we try to break it down to understand it. But maybe a better way of looking at it is through this image right here. Uh, All three on equal footing. Distinct but equal. That's what John was saying about Jesus. The word was with God. In fact, Jesus confirmed this himself in his teaching when he said in John chapter 10, I and the father are one. There's distinctness, but they are equal. So that's the second statement that John made. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Here's the third. And the word was God. This is the most definitive connection that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God. But some people get a little tripped up and they say, why didn't he say the word was God? Why didn't he just say the word is God? Is it possible that Jesus somewhere along the line lost his God-ness and now he just was God? Don't get tripped up on this, it's just grammar. Remember, John's referring to in the beginning, Jesus was God in the beginning. Here's an illustration. You know, when the pandemic first struck, I was the lead pastor of Sunrise Church. And so I would never say when COVID hit, I am the pastor. I would say when COVID hit, I was the lead pastor. As it turns out, I still am. One didn't nullify the other. Jesus was God, at the beginning, and hello, Jesus still is God right now. In fact, Jesus punctuated this himself in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 1, when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus was God at the beginning. Jesus is God right now, and he will continue to be God forevermore. <laughs> you know, Jesus is a, is a figure in history that's widely admired and respected across cultures and countries and religions. A lot of people like the fact that Jesus stood up for the marginalized and he loved the unlovable and he fought for justice. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus being God, that's where the agreement ends. You know, there's a, there's a cult offshoot of Christianity who refer to themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses. And they have famously mistranslated John 1 1 to suit their own religious beliefs. Here's how their version of the Bible says it In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was some kind of spirit creature created by God to serve him, and Jesus was born to bury to be a spokesperson for God, but was not God himself. The Islamic understanding of Jesus is also really fascinating. See, the Quran, the, the holy book of Islam, believed that Jesus was a powerful prophet, affirmed that he was born of a virgin, and even credited miracles to him, like healing lepers and restoring sight to the blind, even raising people from the dead. But don't think for one second they believe Jesus is God. Here's the words of the Quran itself. It says, Those who say Allah is one in a trinity have certainly fallen into disbelief. There is only one God. If they do not stop saying this, those who disbelieve among them will be afflicted with painful punishment. And here it is. The Messiah, son of Mary, was no more than a messenger. The Islamic belief of Jesus is that he was a Muslim prophet, but he is not God. Only Allah could hold that title. A much different message from the Holy Bible. In the beginning, the uncreated creator was with God and was God. And so why is this important for us to understand? Here's why. John 1:4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome means to to seize, to lay hold of, to make one's own. And what John is saying is that from the very outset, the, the, the darkness has been trying to seize the light of Christ from the world. And the reminder is it doesn't matter how hard it tries, it's never going to win. And I want to give you a powerful statement that ought to encourage you in whatever darkness you may find yourself in, In this day, and here's the statement, darkness can overwhelm, but it cannot overcome. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have within you the light of all mankind. And no matter how dark it gets, Jesus, the light of the world, will never be snuffed out. That is the message I want us to get a hold of. Not long ago, my family was flying back to California from the East Coast. It was an early morning flight, and when you factor in the three hour time difference, it was a really early flight. So, once we got to a cruising altitude, the flight attendant kindly asked everybody to lower their shades so people could relax. And so, everyone complied, and instantly the cabin grew dark. So people began reclining their chairs back and and falling asleep. And about 15 minutes into this, just after everybody had settled into a nice little nap and eyes adjusted, my dear, sweet little boy who's sitting right next to the window slides that shade straight open. It was the equivalent of blasting a spotlight straight into your eyeballs. (laughs) The sun was right over the wing right above the clouds as bright and as orange as it could be and when that sun flooded into that dark cabin i mean people were wincing they were giving him dirty looks and he's over there with headphones on just living his best life enjoying the warmth of the sun i'm reaching across two seats trying to slam that shade down you know what i was reminded of is that when you're in a dark place it's easy to forget that the light is shining just on the other side of the shade. And instead, what we often feel is all hope is lost. This darkness is never going to end. God has forgotten about me. And that would be true if these words weren't written. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that means that no matter how dark it gets, you can actually slide that shade open and be reminded that the light is still there and can light up any situation that you find yourself in. <clears throat> you know, there's, a, there's an ebb and flow when it comes to darkness in our lives. There's gonna be seasons that are more dark than others, but you can bank on this. With Jesus, it's never gonna get completely dark. And we see that evidence even throughout the Christmas narrative itself. For example, an angel come and a, and comes and appears to Mary and her instant reaction was one of darkness. Luke 1:29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. The darkness initially overwhelmed, but it would not overcome her. In fact, she was so excited that she wrote a full-on worship song. You could read about it in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And then she she skipped off to her, her relative Elizabeth's house and spent three months there. But at some point in time, Mary had to come back home. And three months later, it's a little harder to hide a pregnancy, and she would need to return to an, a tight-knit ethnic community where everyone knows everybody's business. They know your address, they know your parents, they know your routines, and when something is amiss, they'll notice. So imagine how they felt when an unmarried teenager disappeared for three months and then came back pregnant. That's controversial by today's standards. The darkness would overwhelm. She'd have to carry that darkness with her, but it would not overcome. She would eventually give birth to the Christ child, and then darkness would rear its ugly head yet again. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. King Herod was living a good life until a couple of mysterious Persians showed up and said, hey, where's the new king? And suddenly his throne was threatened. And so he immediately hatched a plan to eliminate the threat. And when that plan backfired, he lost his mind Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. You want to talk about darkness. Can you imagine the horror of little boys being ripped from their parents' arms and murdered right before them? This darkness caused Mary and Joseph to scoop up their little child and flee to become refugees in Egypt. The darkness can overwhelm, but it cannot overcome. And eventually Herod would die, and Jesus, Mary, and Joseph would be able to return to Nazareth. You see, there is an ebb and a flow when it comes to darkness. And the Bible does not teach that Jesus ever said he will not allow darkness to spread. It says he will not allow darkness to win. And this was never more evident than on the cross of Calvary. For years, the enemies of Jesus conspired against him. And then finally, under the cover of darkness had him unjustly arrested, thrown into an unfair trial, made unfounded accusations, abused him mercilessly, and ultimately gave him the death penalty, death on a cross. Luke 23, verse 44, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. At the death of Jesus, there was both a literal darkness and a figurative darkness. The sky literally went dark. And the figurative darkness was was people mourning the loss. By all indications, it appeared that Satan had won. He killed the word. He slayed Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself. But what he did not realize was that Jesus was working the plan. You see, when Jesus died, he took into the grave sin and death with him and then did the unthinkable. Satan never saw this coming. He rose back to life, which means that when you place your faith in Jesus, your sin and death goes into the ground, and you too can be raised to new life in Christ. I love how the Apostle Paul explained this. This is Colossians 2.15, one of my favorite verses. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers and authorities are Satan and his demons. And when Jesus killed off sin and death, he stripped them of their best weapon... He made a spectacle of them when he claimed the victory. As my seminary professor used to say, Jesus baited Satan with his humanity and then hooked him with his deity. Jesus is God before there was darkness. Jesus is God with you in the darkness. And Jesus is God triumphing over the darkness. That's the Jesus of the Bible. <clears throat> and I'm wondering how many of you have found yourself in some kind of dark place today. I wonder how many of you are feeling overwhelmed by the darkness. Maybe you're, you're overwhelmed by the darkness of loneliness or the darkness of pain, the darkness of debt, the darkness of addiction, rejection, rejection. Depression, the darkness of divorce, the darkness of disease, the darkness of death. And it could be so easy to just get overwhelmed and just look at the world that we live in, the, the world that celebrates sin and then tries to force it down our throats by, by making us affirm every sinful behavior in the name of love. We see the darkness of the world with war, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine or the the terrorist attacks by Hamas that started the Hamas-Israel conflict. And then there's just the wars in our own homes. Families fighting, cursing at each other, saying terrible things, marriages falling apart, kids and parents no longer on speaking terms. And then we can just get overwhelmed by the darkness that's just in our own hearts. Our jealousy our selfishness, our pride. I don't need to remind you that the darkness overwhelms, but I do need to remind you that the darkness will not overcome. Understand the Jesus we're dealing with here. We don't worship a baby in a manger. We worship a king on a throne. And so why wouldn't more people want this kind of light in their life? Well, Jesus gives us an explanation for this. Jesus said these words in John 3.20, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. According to Jesus, many of us have chosen our darkness because we want to just do what we want to do, even though it's hurting us. And when you look at the teachings of Jesus, especially in his parables, it can get pretty frightening about people who reject the light and are cast into the outer, outer darkness. You know, not long ago, my son and I, my oldest son and I went to Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. For those of you who don't know what Alcatraz is, it used to be a military fort and then it got converted to a federal prison in the 1930s. And the slogan was, break the rules, you go to prison. Break the prison rules, you go to Alcatraz. It was the place for the worst of the worst criminals. And the conditions there were harsh and unforgiving. And you can tour right in there. And one of the parts of the tour my son and I went is where they put criminals in solitary confinement. And you could literally step right into the cell and close the door. And let me tell you, that's a different kind of darkness. I could not see my hand in front of my face. And there's this little recording that you listen to, which is a firsthand testimony of a former inmate who experienced solitary confinement in Alcatraz. And he said this is how he used to remain sane. He'd put his back against one wall and count the number of steps it took him to get to the other wall, then divide that in half, and that's how he located the middle of the room. And then he would pull a button off of his shirt and drop it on the ground and try to listen for where it landed and then time himself how long it took to grope through the darkness and locate the button. He did this hour after hour after hour, day after day after day. Imagine spending an eternity like that. No more chances, no more opportunities. The good news is this, where we are right now, you could lift up the shade and let the light in. Have you ever trusted your life in the hands of the light of the world, Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived. And when he laid his life down, he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And when you place your faith in Jesus, a trade occurs. He takes all your darkness and in exchange, he gives you his light or his righteousness, so that you could be in right standing before God, which means someday when you stand before God, your sins are not counted against you anymore, they're counted against Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Christ? If not, let's make today that day. In just a moment, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer to invite the light of Christ into your life. And so now is the time, if you wanna bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to just consider where you are before the Lord. And if you're ready to trust your life in the hands of Jesus, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me in the silence of your own heart. I want you to pray right up to heaven. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I don't want to walk in darkness anymore. I know I can't save myself. So I'm asking you to save me, Jesus. I believe you died in my place and I ask that you forgive my sins. Take me out of the darkness so I can walk in your light. Come be my Lord today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer for the first time, we really want to encourage you to let somebody know. And we made a really easy way for you to do that. Right on the bulletins that you got when you came in is a perforated card. Just tear that off, fill that out, and check the little box that says, I said Jesus. And some offering bags are going to come through in just a moment. Drop it right in. One of our staff members will follow up with you and help you understand the decision. And if you've already made the decision, but you want to take your next step, you want to get more involved in Sunrise, you want to to make this your church, but you just don't know what the next step is, here's how to do it. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will customize a a plan for you. Maybe it's joining a small group, getting to know some other people or serving, or you need some assistance or somebody to talk to. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you can stop by our Next Step table right in the lobby and have a conversation with someone today. Next week, we're going to continue working our way through John chapter 1, so be thinking of someone you could invite with you to church next week. Until then, I want you to look for something. As you go driving around your neighborhoods at nighttime, you're going to start to see people putting up their Christmas lights. And when you do, don't just see them as decorations. I want you to be reminded that those lights chase away the darkness. And in that process, I want you to remember the light of the world, the true light who chases away the darkness. Jesus, the uncreated creator, at the beginning with God and is himself God. Jesus was there before the darkness. He's with you in the darkness and he will be with you when the darkness eventually subsides. Darkness can overwhelm, but it cannot Overcome. Do you believe it? Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending the light of the world into our darkness, Jesus Christ. Thank you for not leaving us to to grope around in the dark to try to find some solution and meaning. You've already given it. And I pray for those who are feeling overwhelmed this morning that you would remind them that your light is here and available to strengthen them and to guide them and to help them to hang on. For those who've never trusted in you, I pray they don't leave this place today without without surrendering their lives before you and inviting your light into their darkness. And as we prepare to give over our tithes and offerings, these financial gifts, may it be a reflection of our worship of you, our trust of you in every aspect of our lives, including our money. And we ask that you use these dollars to minister to people here in the community and around the world. Thank you for being the light. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree in your heart, then let the church say, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909 909- Two eight one seven seven nine seven. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.